It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCW Sitka. Today is Monday, August 15th. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this is Raven News. Sitka recorded its seventh death of the coronavirus pandemic last week, though the report is several months delayed. The Alaska Department of Health reported the new casualty in its weekly COVID summary published last Wednesday. A Sitka resident in his 70s died in May. His death was one of 21 included in the statewide report, spanning from February to July of this year. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, the state has reported seven deaths and 29 hospitalizations associated with the virus in Sitka. Ryan Herbert is a newcomer to local politics in Sitka and has become a regular at assembly meetings during persons to be heard. Now he's among the five candidates running to sit on the other side of the assembly table. A self-described jack-of-all-trades, Herbert spoke with KCW's Catherine Rose. Why are you running for a seat on the Sitka Assembly? Well, um, everything has to start somewhere. I mean, I've been building this town since I was a kid. I mean, I started off at the King Coliseum Theater. Mind you, I, I made $25 an hour there. Nobody really knew because I was the only projectionist in this town. I was the only um, film builder here. I was taught by somebody who left, and the owner lived out of town. So without me, there was never going to be a, a theater. It would have ended. So I carried that into um, working for Scott Bowen. I mean, I ran Shiatica restaurant in the mornings, the theater midday, and then I'd run the bar out the road, what Rookies, Orca Bay, Uncle Joe's. I worked for Mike's Floors, doing flooring for people. I did charity work for kids. I mean... I know everybody here, like everybody. It's ridiculous, and they're all a part of me. You know, like, I want to help everybody, not just one person. I feel like a lot of things get lost in this world because people try to do great things for their family, but they don't understand this whole city is your family. If you're helping one, then you're, you're harming another. You know, when you're building a property three stories tall in front of a property that's one story tall, great, you just block their view. Like, how, how do we fix this before it becomes something that's not needed. Like, why don't we be the community that we tell everybody we are? Because I feel like we've lost that connection. I really want to reform this town the best way possible to where everybody enjoys what we're building to help build the growth that we need to grow and support what we, what we need to support in the future. And I like future building. I like building things that are way better than they need to be. So when the future happens, it's already set up for it. Do you have any prior legislative experience, either in elected office or as an appointee on a board or a commission? No, I've always had friends that I talk with that are legislative. So my buddy's running for Senate right now. But I mean, my group of friends when I travel south, they're all legislative. They're all, you know, company owners. They're all business owners. They're, they're all very experienced people I've hung out with my whole life. So I stopped hanging out with a lot of my friends here just because it's just it's a dumb conversation i don't even want to talk about it because the things they talk about are just oh you see the football score i'm like i don't care <laughs> did you hear about what's your name last night I, I don't care like it's just unintelligent dribble all i really want to do is go meet more legislative people more mayors and just hear their thoughts their theories and their thoughts like my i've always searched mentors you know i, I picked the right people to teach me how to be in legislative i have myself never run for office this is my first time because like i told you 
I wasn't going to do it until I was 40, until all the business owners taking over businesses were all my friends and family that care about me and know my intentions. Because they all know me. They trust me because they know my intentions are pure. What ideas or skills do you bring to the table, if any, that you, you think the current assembly lacks? Uh, I, I don't want to answer that. That's a lot. I don't, I, you're, we'll be talking for an hour. Well, what do you think's the, what, what would you say the, the most salient one is? The most, the, what, what's the big thing you think you're bringing to the table? If you could pick one, you know, central fact, thing. I built infrastructure for 30 years. I built it. I worked for Cisco, designing their telecommunication um, video conferencing rooms, for one. So I was a prime candidate for them to send overseas. But that's what I mean. I've studied those things. I've, I've been a part of them. I've built them. Everything from the, the concrete and moving the rock up to the, the, the tiniest detail of the 75-watt bulb in the lamp above somebody's desk instead of 125 that's too bright and blinds people. And, you know, like, I think about all those details. And I think that's what our assembly lacks, is they haven't had enough experience in those fields to apply them to a real-life choice. Like, why are they deciding how to build a building here if they've never even touched a stone on it? That was reporter Catherine Rose speaking with Ryan Herbert, who has filed to run for a seat on the Sitka Assembly. You can listen to longer interviews with Herbert and all of the candidates for municipal office on our website at kcaw.org. In September, we'll share detailed questionnaires with biographical information and in-depth policy questions. We'll also host candidate forums leading up to the municipal election on October 4th. A stream restoration project at the popular bear viewing destination more than 20 miles north of Ketchikan has been completed after two years. As KRBD's Reagan Miller reports, crews have been working to improve salmon habitat at Margaret Creek. About 22 miles north of Ketchikan lies Margaret Creek, accessible only by boat or floatplane. It was heavily damaged by intensive logging in the 1950s through 80s. That logging took out most of the old-growth timber that lined the creek, eroding the banks and damaging floodplains. John Hudson is a restoration biologist with the Southeast Alaska Watershed Coalition. He remembers visiting the area when he first moved to Alaska. I got to know the the stream really, really well. Uh, This was in the mid-90s, and um, I was kind of struck by all the the big stumps that were in the middle of the stream or on the edge of the stream, and uh, brand new to the rainforest and not clearly understanding uh, what the impact was. The damage has had major impacts on the natural habitat of sockeye, coho, and chum, plus the dolly varden and cutthroat trout that run through the area. The Watershed Coalition says the completed restoration work will hopefully reverse the damage by creating better spots for the fish to feed, swim, and rest. To make the project happen, the coalition partnered with Ketchikan Indian Community and the U.S. Forest Service and got to work training hand crews. They were tasked with fixing parts of the creek that machines couldn't get to, using tools like chainsaws, winches, pulleys, and axes. Tony Gallegos is the Cultural Resources Director for Ketchikan's tribe. He says the program sought to train crews not just for this restoration project, but for future work as well. Uh, Of course, when they were working in Margaret Creek, they were in pretty primitive uh, conditions uh, for a week, dealing with uh, weather and camping out at a remote location off the grid, but... uh, they uh, thrived and, uh, and really felt like it was 
like a major life-changing experience in most cases. The Watershed Coalition estimates that the project cost around $400,000. Heavy machinery started rolling into the area last year, and hand crews continued to work through last month. The Forest Service's John Hyde, with the Ketchikan Misty Fjords Ranger District, says work was planned for more than a mile of the creek. We had uh, additional work planned all the way up to around the two-mile marker with for hand crew work. So we used a hand crew to go in and put individual logs in where machines couldn't go or it was too hard to access. Crews placed more than 20 logs in the stream to help give salmon a place to rest and remove four log culverts that were blocking fish passage. Workers also removed 1,000 feet of packed soil and added other debris to create more than 200 meters of habitat. Hyde says it took a long time to plan the project and submit plans for approval. Once implementation happened, it was, it was smooth. It went really well. But yeah, I guess the planning stage, just getting, up, getting, uh, getting everything ready to get this off the ground was probably the hardest part. And he says the project could have impacts on more than just the salmon. It affects everything in the ecosystem, so it's more food for the eagles, for bears, for wolves. Earlier this summer, a similar project wrapped up at Ward Creek, north of Ketchikan, near Talbot Lake. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. A proposal to cut about 40 percent of Ketchikan's library funding will go before voters this fall. Advocates for the measure, including former Assemblymember John Harrington, filed it in response to the Ketchikan Public Library's decision to host a Drag Queen Storytime event earlier this summer. Proposition 2 will ask voters whether to repeal the borough's non-area-wide library powers. That would prevent the borough from taxing homeowners outside of city limits to fund the library. Those taxes provide about half a million dollars in annual funding to the library. Ketchikan Gateway Borough Clerk Casey Paxton says the measure's backers turned in more than 300 signatures to her office on Friday. That's more than the 287 necessary to bring the issue to a vote. So the proposition asking the voters to repeal the non-area-wide library powers will go on the October 4th ballot. The borough's library tax is only charged to property owners outside of Ketchikan and Saxman city limits, so only people who live in unincorporated areas of the borough will be eligible to vote. That includes the two North Tongass precincts and the South Tongass precinct. Paxton says Ketchikan's assembly is scheduled to vote on statements that will accompany Proposition 2 in a voter information packet next month. The voter pamphlet will include information to the effects of the taxpayers. So what are the effects if this ballot measure passes? What are the effects if this ballot measure fails? If approved by a majority of rural voters, the measure would take effect in 2024. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this has been Raven News.